Hi, Greg Perry, the historic preservationist. Uh, tonight we're shifting gears. We're um, going back to uh, talk about principles and objectives in uh, horological object, object conservation, uh, talking about basically clocks and watches. Antiquities are, are history defaced, or some remnants of history which have casually escaped the shipwreck of time. Quote by Francis Bacon in 1724. When a restorer or conservator carries out work on a horological artifact, which is, or may become, an antique of historical significance or value, there are a number of general principles and objectives by which he should be guided and which must transcend what may be the inappropriate wishes of the present owner or custodian. And the principal commercial advantage to himself of non-observance of these principles. The most important of these is the recognition of the fact that the object will already have outlived a number of its previous owners or custodians, and that it may be expected to outlive many, many more. The purest objective of a restorer conservator should be, therefore, always to preserve as nearly as it is practical to do so, so the original character of the object and the physical evidence of the work of its original maker. This principle lies behind all the rules and guidelines which I'm going to lay out. The principle of reversibility. In all horological conservation and restoration, a universal principle to which the craftsman should always attempt to adhere is that of reversibility. This means that Whenever possible, the treatment he applies in the form of adjustment, repair, modification, or replacement should be such that it is impossible to put the object back into its preceding state or its original state. For clocks and watches, which are animate objects and thus prone to wear and self-depletion, this is often far from possible. Nevertheless, this obje the objective should always be kept in mind as an ideal to be approached as nearly as the circumstances will allow. A totally worn out pinion can only be put right by making a new one together with its arbor. Polishing of a metal surface, which may be essential for the proper working of the mechanism, always causes loss of material that cannot be avoided. But non-essential polishing, particularly when carried out many, many times, has the irreversible and unnecessarily harmful effect of destroying the original shape and appearance of the object. It is a practice to be avoided if possible. On a similar note, before using a lacquer to protect the surface, the restorer must be sure that it is the type which can readily be removed and is not one that will become intractable with age, so that reversion to the original surface becomes entirely possible. Under no circumstances should new holes be made in any mechanism. A client may ask for a strike-silent faculty to be fitted to a domestic clock, or for auto automatic winding to be arranged for a tower clock. If this is to be done in an acceptable way, it should be possible to remove the addition to some future date 
and leave the mechanism without evidence of the later modification. It is sometimes necessary and acceptable, however, to make a hole in the back of a long case clock case to secure it to the wall in order to ensure its proper running and to protect it from possible or greater harm of falling over. Where the principle of reversibility cannot be observed, the object should be to cause as little alteration or damage as possible. Secondly, the replacement of components. When a part is so worn out or damaged that it must be replaced, the overall appearance of the object must not be spoiled by an obvious difference in the character or craftsmanship of the replacement. On the other hand, it is inappropriate that the new part should be made and treated in such a way that it becomes indistinguishable from the original. The new part should be as nearly as possible of the same shape and proportions of the original and may include ornamentation and decorative graver marks, but is not, it is not necessary to match exactly the original material and its color, and wrong to attempt to give an aged appearance as this would constitute faking. The pursuit of such a result by cannibalism of a less valuable piece for the sake of the greater value is reprehensible and to be condemned widely. If the replacement part is large enough and not obviously new, it is good practice to mark it with a date and punch or graver or spot etching. It is always desirable to retain the rejective original part with its parent clock, even though there is no way of ensuring that it will not at some future point become separated and lost forever. In the case of a watch, this is not a practical possibility but parts removed should without exception be labeled and returned to the owner who, if the watch is rare, should be encouraged to keep them. Apart from this, it provides evidence of the work carried out. When it is necessary to replace a missing part, the design and proportioning of the replacement must entail a greater or lesser degree of conjecture. In such cases, the satisfactory, satisfactory blending of the new and the old will depend very much on the experience and aesthetic judgment of the restorer or conservator. The part should be date marked if possible. Number three, conversions. An existing conversion of early date should always be retained if possible. Clocks with a long history have performed their task of timekeeping through many changes in the science of technology, of the craft, and in their day, were regarded as strictly functional objects, in some cases were modified or improved. Folios were replaced by pendulums, verge escapements by anchor escapements, original handmade platform escapements by factory-made ones, and so on. Often the work was poor and the result was inferior to the original, but in most cases timekeeping was improved. It is the restorer's responsibility to make a judgment and recommendation in each individual case as to whether such historical improvements should be retained or the mechanism converted back to something approximating to its original form. In no circumstances should he allow a client to persuade him to carry out a retrograde conversion merely as a means to enhance the value of the piece. If it is carried out, it should become 
if it is considered best for its preservation. As previously, new parts should be identified by marking and ev any evidence of the interim modification, such as holes and cutouts left unfilled as representing a part of the history and fortunes of this object or piece. Four, marriages. In a strict sense, almost all horological antiques were marriages. In the first instance, the movement was made in the workshop, the case in another, and the dial in hands and still others. Sometimes these workshops were only a few streets apart, and sometimes many miles. In addition to case furniture, dial parts and decorative items were often obtained in quantity and readily made as were movement accessories like weights, pulleys, and pendulums, to be drawn from stock when required. Some movements were made in the rough and supplied to finishers in quite different parts of the country for completion. The name on the dial or movement might sometimes be the name of the final handler or retailer whose workshop played little or no part in the construction of the timepiece. Over the years, Repairers and jobbers frequently compounded the situation by arranging further marriages, and the identification of these is sometimes a good test for a restorer's knowledge and experience. If the present context, the marriage or remarriage of clock elements, refers to the bringing together of parts which, at some point in their history, have become separated. We are all familiar with the experience of finding movements without cases, Cases without movements, missing or non-original dials, missing or mismatching hands, iron weights where there should be brass lead ones, pendulums of doubtful provenance, etc., etc. When a restorer receives a clock of obviously that's married and has components as such, he should try to untangle the web to find out what may inform the owner of the extent to which this applies but he has a duty to preserve its status quo as nearly as possible and must judge what, if anything, is so inappropriate that it ought to be replaced. But he should not carry this to the extent of attempting to make the clock appear more aesthetically of a particular period or provenance, nor to enhance its value and saleability. Totally wrong dial hands may be so object objectionable that it would be considered correct to replace them with well-made reproductions. More particularly, if in the case of clocks in private ownership, as distinct from the ones in the property of a museum, as before, new parts should be identified by markings. The, existence of, the existence of a case without a movement or vice versa may certainly justify the carrying out of a late remarriage by the restorer. But what has been done should always be properly recorded and the new owner informed. Where no case exists, it is legitimate to have a new one made, or even a stand or bracket, in order to preserve the movement in working order. But it is unethical to discard with, with what may be considered to be an ugly case or to permit its marriage or remarriage is one in which the restorer may find himself having to, to thread a very difficult path between the interest of honest preservation principles and dishonest faking. 5. Traditional materials. Although the restorer will usually have 
a choice of materials when making a replacement part. It is obviously best for the integrity and appearance of old mechanisms to employ one of the same generic composition as the original. Brass needs to be replaced by brass, gunmetal by gunmetal, steel by steel, etc. But the exact comp- uh, composition does not have to be sought after as long the, of the general appearance is in keeping with the rest. And slight differences are a means of identification of new and old. For a wrought iron turret clock, it is not necessarily to hunt for real wrought iron, because mild steel will do equally well without the risk of faking. Most modern lacquers for brass, steel, copper, and silver probably give better protection than their traditional equivalents. But for wood and wood finishes, every effort should be made to use traditional materials. Only a philistine would replace shellac-based French polish with modern plastic lacquer, or the use of additives rather than scotch glue. Repairs to a marble case can probably be done more effectively with epoxy resin with a suitable filler than by finding and mortising matching marble. Clock cases and their restorations are, however, the provenance of specialists. Those who live later, we may conclude by returning to the theme which I begun. A skilled clockmaker whose livelihood depends on work of the kind I have discussed can always, cannot always be ruled by high conservationist principles. Nonetheless, however, pressing the commercial imperatives may be, these principles should never be entirely absent from, from his mind. And he should always remember, and if necessary, make his customer realize that any worthy horologic artifact is in some degree already a part of history defaced, and that there is a duty to heritage to do all that can be done and add as little as possible to that defacement, so that it may not become part of the shipwreck of time.